0: School, we did Kiwanets together.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. Service way back in the oh last my century. God. Piper,
0: tell me all the things I want. Whatever you want people to know, just like a brief outline of your life.
1: Yeah. Oh goodness. Um, well, I guess I'll I'll pick up from from Kiwanets in high school, and I think. In in some ways, I guess I've I've kept that that focus on service and wanting to, you know, to to not be too cliche, but help make the world a a better place that we started back then. And it's been a, a journey. I mean, just completely not what I ever would have guessed back then. And I know I think both of us were were thinking about like, if we could go back and have a conversation with our younger selves, I think our, our younger selves, I'd like to think would be equal parts, maybe a little shocked, maybe really proud. And, and just recognizing like life is, is not what, you know, not as simple as, as we thought it would was maybe back then. Um, so yeah, so I, I, after high school, went off to college and then ended up going to law school and working as a lawyer for a bit in, in human rights. I, I like to joke that I got just dis- disheartened by the Supreme Court before it was cool. So I jumped out of law and into documentary film for, for several years and then brought the, the focus on storytelling with film, but then also law and policy together and now focus on advocacy communication. So that's a professional.
0: I lost you. There you are. Okay. Where did you go to law school? Where did you go to college and then law school?
1: I went to to Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Okay. Okay. I remember.
1: Yep. And I made that choice. A lot of folks in our our town in Texas, we're very central Texas, went off in all directions to Texas schools. And I was really intimidated by the size of schools like University of Texas or Texas A&M. And I thought, no way, no how I will go there and fall through the cracks and never be seen again. So went to a, a smaller school in, in Nashville. So and that was a a really it was a very positive experience a lot of of growing very different than than being in in our small town of of temple and then went to university of michigan for law school for
0: okay yeah that.
1: yeah yeah it was such a place. what's that ann arbor in, yes Exactly. Exactly. And it's funny, I made that choice by talking to a lot of people in between undergrad and law school. I worked as a legal assistant because I didn't have any lawyers, you know, no, nobody that I would talked to growing up. It was a completely different career path than I'd ever expected. And so worked for a short while in a law firm just to see from the inside what is law about. Is this really the direction I want to take? And it was. And in talking to, to lawyers about the schools that they went to, a lot of folks would would name a school and it just felt matter of fact, yeah, yeah, I went to fill in the blank. But anytime I talked to somebody who went to Michigan, their face would light up and they just, it seemed just so positive. And then I went there and, and visited. And sure enough, I mean, it, it was competitive to get into. But then once you got there, the environment was incredibly supportive and more of an attitude rather than trying to bring anybody else down. In, in my section, and I think this was an experience for many people there, we all knew that we were going to all be lawyers. So why not support each other along the way? And I'm so grateful. I actually had surgery my first fall and everybody, you know, came and said, oh, if you need my outline, if I can be helpful. And so it was just, it's not, I think law school sometimes gets this reputation for being very cutthroat. And
0: Mm -hmm. I'm very
1: grateful to have been in a place where that's, that, that was not my experience. Did you, um, did you, how long did that take you? Law school took you like what? It's usually three years. There, there was a program there where I actually was a summer starter, which meant a we had, and this is no longer a program that that Michigan offers, but you know, way back in the day, there was a group, a, a section that would start early. And usually in the, the fall, you'd have about four or five sections of, of students. And that just means everybody goes to the, the you know same classes together. And so we had one. You know, little group of us that started in the summer, and it almost felt like law school summer camp. You know, <laughs> kind of easing in. We had you know a, a few a few classes that summer, and it just it really. I'm I'm so grateful. Instead of drinking from a fire hose, you, you know you're drinking from a fountain. Maybe I don't, I don't know what the the equivalent would be. And and so that just meant that then I graduated in December, um, and then took a uh, the bar. In the spring, and had you kind of slightly off schedule from from other folks, but that flexibility ended up being really helpful on both both the front and the you know after graduation. Yeah.
0: What? Um. How long did you practice law?
1: That's a good question. I I think around eight years all told. I started. Uh, I was down in, in Costa Rica for a little bit, and then came back up to a traditional big defense firm, and then went over to the the plaintiff side in human rights. So, I feel like it's a number I should know off the top of my head, and I just I don't. I think around eight years, if I need to do all all the the math. And then, what prompted you to get into
0: documentary film? Like, what was that segue like? That yeah, that segue
1: was abrupt. <laughs> Um, I mean, it, it's funny. I, I actually, I'll give my younger self more credit. I I was somewhat smart about it in that I stayed on with the organization I'd been working with and did some consulting. But I think the there was one case in particular where we were representing people who had worked for a company in Liberia and they for decades had used child labor. And the case we had here in the U.S., was ultimately dismissed and it just felt like a case that was so incredibly strong. And I thought, if that's the type of case that won't get to trial, then I don't have the patience to, to stick around in, in this type of, of work to see other cases not get to trial. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you felt like at that stage of your life, the system is not working for me. Correct.
1: Not even okay. that. I mean, not for me. I mean, for, for, for me professionally, yes, but it right. was, I mean, it's fascinating. And this is where I didn't recognize it. I mean, I feel really lucky now looking back to have grown up believing that our system of justice was just right. And, and so to see wait, something, wait, wait, wait. Uh, repeat, repeat what you just said. I said, I, I grew up believing that our system of justice was just. was just. Yes. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, and it, I recognize now, like I was really lucky to to believe, and maybe lucky isn't the right word, but it, I, I'm not sure. I'd need to think on that. I I think it was it was lucky, but then it was also deeply disheartening to to have conversations with folks, especially the type of work I did. Involved people who lived outside of the United States, so Liberia, Colombia, Guatemala, and and they looked to to our system as as I did, you know, a place to go and and have a a fair judgment to to have justice be done. And so it felt because I'd, I'd put our our system on this pedestal. The higher it is, the higher the fall. Right. And so so to think, oh, wow, no, this is so much more driven by by money and power than than I had thought. Um, And yeah, and to have the type of cases, I mean, we we were up against very large companies and it felt sometimes like if the company had taken the amount of money, that they put into paying for, for legal fees and instead said, wow, there's a a harm here in this country where we're operating. Let's try to remedy it. I'm not even asking, like you don't have to say that you're guilty. You don't have to say like it, it was completely our fault, but there's something really ugly happening here. You know, can we invest in in making it better? And instead of doing that, they dumped a ton of fees into, to, lawyers pockets. Um, and it, I, I'm hesitating here because I still am friends with some of those lawyers. You know, I was in, for like, it's, it's complicated, but, um, that just, you know, I got so tired of, of having to tell people my own clients that no, we don't have a decision yet. No, we have to wait for, for another few months. There's been a delay there's, you know, all along this process and ultimately not to, to have, a real remedy i thought this isn't this isn't working but the, the the good thing is one of the last cases i worked on i recognized you know i had gone in thinking that litigation was kind of the only tool in the toolbox you know i was a hammer and everything was a nail so let's just litigate we'll sue and we'll make it better and in this last case, we did a lot of, of advocacy on, on Capitol Hill, asking for a remedy there or talking to media. And that felt like a three-legged stool in a way where there was more stability. You had that the lawsuit, but you weren't just litigating in court. I'm also talking to people who maybe have people in their their you know their constituents who are from some of these countries or who have you know different interests and in talking to the media and getting attention and so that was the thing that first started opening the door into ah there's a bigger toolbox I'm not stuck with just litigation I can reach a broader audience and how to be you know broader than to move into documentary film and tell a a story and have that be something where you know, you could it, eventually, if it were on Netflix, if it's screened at a film festival, I mean, that just felt like a much more powerful tool. And so that was the jump from, from litigation into, to documentary film.
0: So I, this is fascinating to me. I feel like a lot of people, I consider myself an activist. I know mm-hmm. I'm like a social media activist in in some way, but what I was doing before, which is I was running a business. I was a business mm-hmm. owner. I was trying to empower lives of people in a very small scale in New Orleans, but I felt like there was so much more of a wider birth of people that I could reach if I mm-hmm. would step outside of my comfort zone and bring these things to light that people are not addressing. Yeah, And in law, I would assume that there's like a very small, it's a small pep population. You know what's going on, but not everybody has the, their hand on the pulse of what's happening happening le- legally. Mm-hmm. But people will watch a documentary film on exactly. Netflix. Yeah. And that's... I I I want to blow this up. Like, I don't feel like this small population of people that knows what's going on and, and also you're subject to pus- puppet masters in that world that are mm-hmm. dictating what gets out and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Netflix is like, you know, the sky's the limit.
1: I mean, it, it is. But what's funny, and this is just such a change from when, you know, I'll keep going back to to high school when, not to make us sound like dinosaurs, but we didn't have social media. You know, it just wasn't even a, a term. And thank goodness. Oh, like, God. <laughs>
0: I see me buying natural lights for like five dollars a piece at a party. I mean, <laughs> the shit I did in high school—I'm so glad it's not out there. I mean, oh obviously my gosh, I will happily tell it, but yeah.
1: no. But every time that somebody uploads a picture of like—I mean, when I had a spiral perm, I'm like, no, we do no. not need that. Like, the internet does not need that, <laughs> and it follows you your whole life. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So it's just, it's such a different world where there was more gatekeeping in the sense that, that we had, yeah. you know, there were three right. main channels. And so you'd watch the news and you'd feel informed. And what felt invisible at the time was how many stories weren't being told. right Right. Yes. Now it feels like it's completely upside down in the sense of everything can be told but we can't possibly keep up with with all of it and, and and I mean I read something the other day 500 hours is it I think it's 500 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute so there's oh just my God. Yeah. So there's just no way. So, so all that to say is like, I love, I mean, when you're working, like everything is, is, is local in, in the sense of, you know, what's going on around us and, and knowing our, our immediate community at the same time of, of you know, being aware of, of what's going on more broadly and in an ideal world, everybody's doing their part in the sense of, you know, I don't need to be an expert right And all the issues, because hopefully somebody who is an expert is doing, you know, their work from a place of of wanting to create a better future for all of us. I say that and I recognize that is wicked naive. Like, I know that's not happening, but in in an ideal world, it would be. And so for for you, you know, hearing the voices of where you were and supporting people there. And then, you know, when we talk about needing to, to blow things up it, it's just impossible. Like in the sense of, you know, I want on some issues to just call from the rooftops and have the entire world know about particular issues and they won't, right? Like they, they absolutely won't. And so where I have to be, you know, more strategic and this is what we do in in advocacy communications is as much as I would love for, for everybody to know, we live in a world where that's impossible and so i have to be really strategic who do i need to know who has the power to to change a policy who needs to know like if you see an injustice going on with you know when you're working in small business and there are policies that are just they make no sense and they cause you a headache and you're not able to support your employees you know whatever the the policy is being able to then say okay who who has their finger on on the yeah. pulse. Who needs to hear this? Oh, and apparently that's a gesture that just made <laughs> so so for those who are listening rather than <laughs> seeing, I just set <laughs> off fireworks. <laughs> 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 thumbs up. Is it gonna do that for me? And they were like
0: fireworks behind you. That was so cool. Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> yes. I'm like, yes, oh, I feel the whole effect. Yes. <laughs> so so mind, mind blown, but um, yeah, but knowing who, like when you need to, to set out and change something, who has the power to change it, right? And those right. are the folks that really need to know because the world is really big and, and you know, and just Netflix, also, elite, Netflix is huge. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I could have an absolutely wonderful documentary that would change everybody's life if they would only watch it right they're not going to <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. no and also not everybody cares about every issue so exactly exactly and not everybody can do everything about every issue
1: amen and if we try to, we that burn ourselves out right
0: yes yes okay so i've always like considered you to be a very you're so classy you're so classy so elegant so kind and so smart and driven You're i, I being think very you are... kind
1: right now and i'm again i'm grateful that we're not on video as i sit here in with with air that needs to go so in the shower You're and in a hoodie but yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> but i always thought that you
0: presented really well and i'm like she's going to do a lot of shit in her life that's important and it doesn't matter that it's whether it's global or small it mm-hmm. matters that you know your piece of the world and your place in it, Mm. right? Yeah, And you can't change everything. That's not our job. We're not fucking Jesus. Mm. Sorry. I love Jesus, (laughs) but we're not Jesus. (laughs) We can't change the world. We're not saviors to humankind, Mm. but we can be, we can change our little corner and that matters. And yeah. that's what you're doing.
1: I I appreciate that so much, Rebecca. And it's taken me so long to to learn exactly what you just said. Like, like you cannot change the entire world. I feel like I set out sometimes trying to do that. And I think it's something where the more injustice we see, the more you want to to work to fix it. And and it took me a while to find, you know, what is my say what is my lane in a way that that i know that expression sometimes can sound very very negative yeah yeah like oh stay in your lane like this isn't your business or that sort of and i don't mean it that way i mean it more in like what you just said earlier you know not everybody cares about every issue and and that can be frustrating when you're like i wish you know you you're really passionate about You know what pick any issue you know like eating well getting exercise um having that the you know animal rights or voting rights or yeah relationships it's never ending it's never ending and if we try to take it all on we do a whole lot of things not very well. And so figuring out where, where are our spaces and then working in that space. And then also, I think, I've, and I've seen this in the, the advocacy space, like sometimes it just gets, you get really tired. And so there are some folks who will stay, you know, recently I worked in education policy and there are folks who have been in there for decades and it's fabulous because they've got really deep knowledge and we need that. There are other times where people are, are working in a space, and it just starts to get like Groundhog Day, and they start to get burned out. And it's like I need to take this skill set and and do something else for a while. And maybe that something else is a different form of advocacy. Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's travel. Maybe yeah. it's where you know whatever it is. And this is something that I think that that I'm, I'm grateful that the that the world that I'm in, I feel like, has kind of woken up a bit in, in the sense of like, we, we have to, to charge our own batteries every now and then and not burn out. And that was something that, that I, you know, I get, maybe I just didn't get the memo and people have known this for decades, but it feels like it's a more recent conversation to, to say like, you need, you know, step back when, when you need to, you know, when you're feeling too burned out. And that just wasn't a conversation that, that, you know, I'd heard much of decades ago, and I appreciate a whole lot more now.
0: So I have so many, so many thoughts while you're speaking. Like one of them is Suzanne Stabil. do you know about the Enneagram at all?
1: Oh, I, yeah, I do. I, didn't, I wouldn't have associated that name, but I do know the Enneagram.
0: So she's one of the, the leaders in the Enneagram. She's written a book called The Road Back to You and a few others, I think. But she said, I need to know what is mine to carry. Like what what is mine to hold on to? Mm-hmm. That number one, I thought while you were speaking. And two, that we do not value that we don't we don't value rest in our society. Mm-hmm. Like we are just bodies. Yep. We're spirits living in these physical bodies. Yeah. And we were not meant to work even 40 hours a week, I don't believe, where you're like hard grinding 40 hours a week. That's really mm-hmm. intense for any human being to carry and we don't value rest. Yeah. So there's gotta be a, we have to be able to tune into who we are as people and check out when we need mm-hmm. to, like I, I, you gotta solve the problems for the world today. And maybe for a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, mm-hmm. but I gotta sit out cause I'm gonna lose my damn mind. Yeah. And then we're not beneficial to anything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. If we're burnout, yeah. we, we lose our potency, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, we have to do it when it's time for us to rest. Yeah, man, I, I, I it's, it's, I appreciate that so much, and it, it's easy to think about how, you know, as you were saying that, I kind of think of it as a relay where we're like, if you have, uh, did you do track back at, at Temple? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. I did a high so, jump and hurdles. Oh my gosh, I could not. Like, <laughs> I did long distance too. I have so much admiration right now. I was the person who would like run up to the hurdle and then like stop because I was so afraid I wouldn't make it over. So I, like, I have so much admiration. Um, I can like, I, I and run. You have but- like such long legs.
0: What are you like? Six feet?
1: <laughs> You're so tall. But it's so clumsy. I joke about this. I'm like, this is why this is why I'm a runner. Like, do not throw a ball at my head. Don't kick anything at me. You're just going to knock me over. But I can run a straight line, and and don't put anything in my way to jump over. But I think about like if you're running the mile, if any one of us runs that mile alone, we will not be as fast as four people running the the one lap. And so you're like that sitting out. I think that's so hard because there's so many things that are so important and it feels like a luxury right like and and this is what got me into trouble years ago like how dare i take a break when i'm representing people in in situations like they don't get to take a break from from you know poverty they don't get to take a break from violence i mean it's it it just felt like like i i didn't know how to find that that balance Um, and there's yeah and there's like People will talk now and even now it drives me a little nuts. This whole notion of like, you know, put your own mask on first. And and I I that doesn't resonate with me, because if you if you make it a a sense of order, like how I'm not going to put myself first, even though intellectually I understand that. it it feels icky to me i mean hopefully i would do that actually on a plane if i if i need my oxygen mask like in a real life situation where it's truly life and death but i don't need to be working in a way necessarily that feels so acutely like it's life and death even though sometimes frankly it is and so for me it's much more helpful to think like i cannot pour from an empty vessel like i cannot if, if i am completely exhausted then then I am not going to show up in the way I can. But it's just it's so much easier said than done. And you're right. I think we're, we're not in a a society that, that values rest. And I think having spent a lot of time in D.C., even now where there's more conversations about the importance of sleep and the science of importance of sleep and and all of that there's still sometimes a culture of being proud of like yep you know 16 hours and i'm exhausted and i only slept three hours well you know three hours i only slept two like somehow that being a, a badge of honor and so i think it's there's a lot that you know folks need to kind of wrestle with to say how can i do my my part but also step back so that I can continue to to do my part in a way, way where I'm I'm showing up with the energy that I need, and it's you know like I said, easier said than done.
0: Yes, for sure. I'm I'm reading this book, this here flesh
1: Ooh, by okay. Ruth
0: Bailey Coleman. Uh-huh. No, I'm so sorry, I totally butchered her name. It's Cole Arthur Riley, and she is a black writer, and mm-hmm. she. Wrote this beautiful piece. I'm going to see if I can find it. I probably cannot find it, but she, it was so beautiful. She said about rest. Um, shit, I'll have to come back to it. But last night I was thinking, like, this is the importance of boundaries. And mm. we were talking about that today, about yeah. how boundaries, we were not taught boundaries growing right. up we weren't taught like it's okay to say this is not for me or I mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable right now and yeah. I'm I to check out of this conversation or out of this relationship or whatever yes. this just doesn't feel right for me yeah and I mean, you, you want to talk more about that because you were you told me today I felt like I lived most of my boundaries most of my life without boundaries
1: yeah 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 I mean that's I think that's I'm thinking like where to even, where to even begin because it's true. I I did not, I, I just, I didn't have them. And I I felt like, like I got the message that having them at all was, was selfish. Mm -hmm. And, and that was true in, you know, in a professional context where, and you know, it's, it's funny, even now, so many years being out of the practice of law, I, I started in a place where it was celebrated, like the more you could bill, the better. I mean, that was truly like, like, not even just subtly, like overtly. And you're bone, you know, you got a bonus if you worked, you know, thousands of hours in, in a year. So, so that did not exactly promote good boundaries at, at work. I think personally, and, and I'm curious how much of this has to do with, you know, being women, um, being white women, you know, growing up in the South, growing up in, in, you know, any number of, of reasons. Um, but yeah, I just did not, you know, didn't, I guess one, um, sorry for the the long pauses, but I just, I I think like I've had so many Wheels turning and thinking about what, where to, to jump in, but um, I think that there was a fear of, of offending people and and a fear of of making someone else uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that is, I, as I say that now, I, I just I cringe and I cringe for for my younger self. But I think that that was just so deeply ingrained um, that yeah, that I would be willing to to. Make my own self uncomfortable. I would put up with things because heaven forbid I make someone else uncomfortable.
0: And it wasn't even that we were making ourselves uncomfortable; it was that we were making ourselves unsafe, yeah, and um, less than mm-hmm. and all. We we uh, diminished our own power so that other people could. Could live their life. And I see that happen in women very frequently yeah. in motherhood mm. and in all walks of life. Like they make, they think that their dreams and their own stability and their own power is less than anybody else's because mm. they're here to serve. Mm -hmm. we're
1: supposed to be right well and it's interesting because that too i think it's what we what we celebrate and and then what we frown upon and and by by we i think i'm thinking of a family a community a you know whatever that the norms are somewhere and i think about you know my um, one of my grandmothers who you know there's this you know where the way i grew up there was a, a you know admiration for, well, she never complained and always put others first and, and, you know, these expectations that I look back now and I'm like, man, I hope, I hope she had some space to, like, to why help. is that
0: celebrated? Exactly. I do not want anybody to say that about me when I die. Yeah. She, she put others first. She never complained. What? I mean, who, who doesn't complain? You know, that woman was bitching a monologue in her head every fucking. <laughs> Did't come out of her mouth I wonder or or it doesn't mean me. that she didn't show up authentically in her yeah. relationship because yeah. she didn't feel safe enough to speak her truth
1: yeah I, I wonder though I mean I, I see so much change f- across generations from our grandmothers to mother to to us i I wonder I mean was she was she upset in her mind or, or had she fully internalized like this is my role. And, and, and she, yeah. did she even have, and, and, and I think yeah. it's funny because somebody ages ago gave me a book about anger and and how it was like women specifically and, and anger. And do we have permission to be angry when there's things that are around to make us angry? And, and I had a conversation recently with a friend that was really interesting where we were reversed, where I will sometimes feel, and this is new. I mean, there was a time when I did not allow myself, like, I just, you know, don't get angry. You can't change things, you know, just, just, you know, keep going, keep your, you know, your head down, your nose to the grindstone, you know, whatever the the little, you know, glib expression is. And, and it felt kind of like a relief to finally recognize like, oh, I can, like, I'm angry about things and, and I don't want the world to be this way. And then recognizing sometimes under that now is is sadness and and for a friend of mine for her it's the opposite where she was feeling a lot of sadness about things she's gone through incredibly challenging things with health recently and and just feeling this this sadness and for her she recognized under that was the anger and it it made me I mean we had a fun conversation about it where it's like you know maybe we need to to switch I'm like you know bring on the anger it's like it, it can feel like so so therapeutic now I mean you don't want to stay in an angry place forever but recognizing like we get to have and maybe is a shorter way to put all of this is a way that someone put it to me a couple of years ago and I so appreciate is it. like as humans we get to have all the feelings and if you, oh, if you numb one, it, it doesn't work where you get to selectively say, I'm not going right. to feel that, but I'm still going to keep feeling everything else. Unfortunately, you numb the whole darn thing. And so being able to, to feel into that, which I say this hoping that a younger generation, if they're listening to this, is like, what are they even talking about? I've always had space to feel my anger. I've always had space to feel my sadness or what you know, whatever it is and can say, and also have boundaries and say, this is not working for me. Like you do not get to speak to me that way. I do not, you know, what whatever, you know, I, I don't work an extra five hours because someone else decided not to show up or, or, you know, whatever the example is, I hope that this feels incredibly foreign, but I don't know. I I don't know if, if there's still, you know, younger folks coming up who, who don't have, don't have the space to feel fully and then have the practice and saying, you know, okay, when I feel that anger, what can I do that's constructive with it? Does that make sense? Yes,
0: absolutely. And I think, This is why the conversation about the patriarchy, I'm so stuck on this, Mm -hmm. but this is why it's so important to me is to teach young people like the, the ability or the freedom even to think Mm -hmm. for themselves. Like it is okay to say, this is not for me. Right. I don't care how great it looks. I don't care if it's like someone else's jam. You still should have the ability to be Mm -hmm. like, I'm checking out. This isn't yeah. this isn't for me. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of what has happened in our society with the systems that are in place is people kind of fall in line and they think they're supposed to act a certain way in order to make society work or mm-hmm. in order for them to have the American dream, whatever the fuck mm-hmm. that means. Mm-hmm. And like they're still falling into that mm-hmm. that brainwashing idea of the collective knows best. So mm-hmm. let me just align with whatever society mm-hmm. tells me is right for me instead of, like, actually thinking for yourself. And I still see it in young people. Yeah. I don't I don't think that that's going to be erased. I, I don't think that we're going to see it in our lifetime. Mm. Maybe by the time they actually start changing things, we're all going to be, like, fucking machines with AI. I don't know. <laughs> we like
1: regain regain our humanity at some point. Oh my I gosh. Think. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's funny because I, I work now in, in how for a while and the, the, the notion of, of stories, which I feel like that can be as, as squishy mm-hmm. a term sometimes as a, mm-hmm. a system. But I think about, you know, as long as there have been humans, there have been you know a, there's a story that we we tell ourselves and and that can be you know i don't mean just you know the three little bears and and goldilocks but like a bigger a story about how are things supposed to work and in that we we infuse values we we think about you know the you know i guess a story of a happily ever after and we're you're supposed to get married and it's supposed to be you know two people and you know like like la 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 how that that is you know putting this in, in air quotes like supposed to go And, and I think that there can be a, no matter where, where we are, um, there will always be some sort of story that we're, we're living and we're telling ourselves like, this is the, the right way or, or the wrong way. And, and so I think that having that, that way of kind of organizing ourselves isn't necessarily. Inherently a, a bad thing. Where it becomes a bad thing is where it's very limiting. And this is where I think it's interesting. Maybe there, there would have been benefits to social media. You know, I think people who grew up in our small town with these, these more rigid norms, you know, if they were gay, there was not a space, you know, that was so isolating because you're not fitting that that story. If you, you know, grow up in, you know what we touched on earlier, I have, have not gotten married or having had kids. And that was very much not the story. I mean, the story we we were told or that that system is like, you're supposed to, you know, be married in a, a heterosexual relationship and have kids and all this and that. And so to, to move away from that is, is really challenging. But, and so I think that it you know it's possible, but we're we're rewriting and in, in your, you know, whether it's something that, that's inherently negative about the the system or the story or just simply kind of the way it's always been and now we're needing to change it um or, or make it more more open it's a lot of work and I think that there are people who will look at at things and and, you know if it's it's easier in some way to say you know there's black and white right and wrong and and that's just an easier way to see the world when we get into the the gray and maybe this is different but the different isn't bad you know that's that's a hard place for for some folks to 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 be in because there's a whole lot of uncertainty I feel like I've gone off on a big old tangent and I want you to bring me back (laughs) it's all
0: it's all interconnected and I feel like as a mother, and I say this over and over again to remind myself of this Mm -hmm. fact, it is my job to give my children a safe space to be themselves, whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like. That's what I feel like my calling is as a parent. Mm -hmm. And if that means that they are heterosexual and they get married and they have great jobs and they love their wives and they have children and they Mm -hmm. stay married for you know, until they die to the same person, that that is beautiful. I want to encourage that in them. And also I want them to know that there is an alternative if Mm -hmm. that is not their jive, right? Mm -hmm. If they want to explore something else, then I want them to know there is an alternative to that. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that we were given that option. I didn't feel like there was any other option in my upbringing and as a Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. as a middle-class white person, mm-hmm. I don't I don't feel like that. I was given a lot of like, look at the world. You could do all these things and it doesn't really matter. We're here to like support mm-hmm. you and get mm-hmm. you. And I didn't feel supported. I felt very, mm-hmm. very scared of going out on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I left two husbands. I left two marriages. I'm a single mom. Now I'm like openly an activist about all of these things and it's not it's not super fun. I don't get a lot of support from my childhood, you know. I mean, are you feeling that at all as a woman in her 40s without children, mm-hmm. without any desire to have children, which I love that you're just able to stand in that and be like what are you going to do about it? This isn't me.
1: Mm-hmm. I I think so. It's funny. I, I realized this earlier. There was a camp that I went to um, that my parents learned about from the parents of a, a person that that um, that, you know, well, and and I hadn't made that connection until earlier. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. I mean, what a small world. So I ended up at this camp in I think it was it was our senior year, maybe or um, right right thereabouts. And and I thought it was just it was in Colorado and and I thought it was just a a, a kind of regular Christian you know spending some time away. It was so strict, and we had a, a Bible study where I remember a, a woman leading it, and it was with, you know young girls and, and girls only, and and she said something about how you know her husband is the one who speaks directly to God and her husband makes all the decisions and she doesn't have a direct relationship with God and i like i about fell over that is not the way i was raised and i was like that is not that is not the God. like nope 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 and so it was really helpful to to at that age because i think and it stands out to me because that was one of the first times you know there are a lot of things the messages that i received growing up in a church were were positive you know like like jesus loved everyone i'm like great i'm on board with that you know forgiving forgiveness i'm on board with that um be you know spending time like with the you know as you do to the the least of me all these things that made sense this was the first time that i was like whoa whoa (laughs) yeah yeah exactly Exactly. So that, and the thing is, is have I grown up always with that message? Maybe I would be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and so, so that was the first kind of break that I had from like, this is I, like, I am not, I am not adopting this entire, whatever this model is, like something's something's off. Um, they also told us there was a, a gay bar in town. And they're like, whatever you do, don't go near like this. And this is what goes on there. And they, and I was like, that sounds like a really fun place. So ironically it was was going to this hardcore place that actually sent me on, on a very different path where it was like, oh, if this is, if if this is what this is going to be about, like that's no longer me. So that, that was the first kind of step away but i think now i mean the, the, it was it was fabulous i mean it was it was fabulous and i remember bringing even there was a, a christian group and i'm not going to remember the name right now but i the music was too hardcore christian music christian rock was too hardcore for some folks there and i was like okay this is i am now seeing a a broader spectrum than i've seen before and i'm realizing like in relation to to other folks i am not i am not as far along um you know on this this spectrum of of religion um but that way, that was kind of a first step i think i had always grown up expecting because this was the the story i would be married of course i would and that was like the next step and of course i would have kids and i think the thing for me that that i really prioritized was making sure i met the right person first and i had plenty of friends who were I mean I remember one one friend in particular who was like I just want a baby and I was like you're scaring me and I'm not like like I'm like try you know find find the right dad or decide you're going to do it on your own you know whatever your path is but I had wanted to find the right partner and then I didn't and I found plenty of of not the right partners. And I've, and, and one who said to me, you know, other women want this, like, what is wrong with you? You should want this. And it was that I didn't want to be married to him. I didn't want to have kids with him, but it was just a, a, a thing to, to put that so directly ma- gave me this, the, the space a bit more intentionality about, you know, what's most important. Uh-oh.
0: okay, we're back. Sorry. I had like some technical difficulties, but I, I am so glad that you got that information and you didn't absorb that into who you were. You were like, this is not for me. This doesn't yeah. feel right in my soul. And you were able to just be like, not for me. It's fine if that's for you, but God is going to talk to me directly, not through my husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and, it and t- I heard that. I heard that and was like, I guess I need a husband mm, okay, totally different, yeah, you were talking yeah. about your girlfriend that was like she wanted a baby, she didn't care who gave it to her, she just felt like she needed a baby I
1: yeah okay yeah and and it's I mean it's confusing, right, like life does not have a a strict manual and as i say that i can imagine people listening be like yes it does it's the you know fill in religious text of of your choice um but i think it's it's not it's not that simple and it's it it's it is simple if we at least initially like stick to what we're told like this is this is the script um and then when you start going off script you know knowing you know what What feels right to you and 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 it's really hard if you've been told especially you know it's one thing to to kind of go off in a a different direction and just explore but if you've been told that direction is wrong then then that takes it takes bravery um and it gets real complicated real quick and then hopefully you move through and you find a place you're like i've i've reconnected with that like where where i should be and that authenticity and i think that your sons i mean i love that you're raising boys to to have that space and to be you know like like the space to be you know respectful and loved and then go out and and figure out you know what 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 works for you in that without the expectation like you don't have to be married by by you know and i hear this in, in different you know there's different ways of of living with all the different cultures around the world. But anytime I hear somebody say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm 20, you know, I'm ancient and I should be married by now. I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) no, no, it's, it's, you're, you're, you know, you're, first of all, you're definitely not ancient and there's no, there's no should, you know, like, like waiting and, and, you know, finding, what really works for you, but that's easier said than done. When you've got, you know, whatever the pressure is—if it's to get married by a certain age, if it's to, to have, you know, a particular job by a certain age—I mean, there's just so much pressure that can be put on on people, and it, it doesn't, you know, too much of it, and and it doesn't serve us. What do they say about
0: should? Should is shit all over. Could. <laughs> is wrapped up in shit. That's what should is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when have I have never like, heard whatever. that. Shit. It's just shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that notion though. Like the could, like because there is a could. Like I could, we could do With so many Possibilities.
0: Things. Yes. The unknown. Man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that.
1: I Me like too. that. Me
0: too. This was such a great conversation. I really do think we're going to have to do part two.
1: I love the idea. And I'd love to hear, like, I feel like we touched on so many different things. So I'm curious if there's, there's anybody has particular questions or, or thoughts or, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to reconnect.
0: Okay. I like it. You're the best. You're so much fun. Thanks for
1: having me on. Okay. I'm
0: going to, I'm going to stop recording, but we're going to still chat. Okay. okay.